Hello and welcome to BGS English Revision Podcast. I'm Mr Forster and I'm here with... Mrs Bale. And we're going to be talking today about hawk roosting for um, Literature Paper 1 for the poetry. So this is obviously one of 15 poems by Ted Hughes that you're being asked to revise and two of them will appear in the exam paper and you'll have the choice. So if there's one poem that you really hate, you can always drop it, but it's useful to, know, to make sure you know all 15 of them um, really, really well. So we're going to talk about a question today, which is... How does Hughes strikingly portray the hawk in this poem? Which is quite a broad question, but very much of the ilk of the CIE questions. They all love these adverbs, strikingly, powerfully. Um, uh, but what is it really asking us? Um, well, I think it's asking us um, how Hughes depicts the hawk. What sort of characterisation does he use to, to portray the hawk? Uh, and what poetic techniques does he use to make this hawk a really distinctive character? Um, so for a thesis statement, which you should come up with before you write your essay, um, we might think about how Ted Hughes captures the spirit of the hawk and by extension nature in this dramatic monologue which is the form of the poem. The speaker is the hawk who asserts his dominance over the landscape and prey and the hawk is personified to speak his thoughts but he lacks the humanity or malice which would make him seem human. Although some critics have sought parallels with murderous dictators, an interpretation which Hughes has refuted but we might interpret as our own, our own reading of the poem. Hughes spent his childhood capturing animals on the Yorkshire moors to take home in jars and cages, an action which he extends to capturing the spirits of animals in his nature poetry. The poem is composed in short, clipped sentences, reminiscent of the staccato movements of a bird of prey. The regularity of the six quatrains reflects the repetition of the bird's purpose and action, kill and eat, while the lack of rhyme or rhythm in the free verse reflects the bird's freedom. The narrative of the poem follows the hawk from its perch at the top of the wood to taking flight over the wood. In both situations, the hawk asserts its dominance. Hughes presents the bird as a perfect example of evolution. He has been designed for this life and he is perfect at hunting. The world is described as existing for the hawk and as an entity over which he rules. The hawk's description of his kills is gruesome but unsentimental, reminding the reader of Tennyson's famous poetic line about nature red in tooth and claw. So at the start of your essay, you really want to engage with the poem overall um, and what it's doing. But actually, as we start to move into our kind of main sections of our paragraphs, we want to start simply. You don't want to start with your most complicated point. So we're thinking of starting about looking at the hawk's dominance. How does Hughes portray the hawk's dominance over the world? So what are you thinking about uh, as the first kind of point we might analyse about um, Hughes's writing? To, to, how does he portray this dominance? Well, we might think about where he places the hawk at the beginning of the poem. So he begins the poem... Um, um, in the first person narrative perspective, he's, he's speaking uh, as the hawk and he says, I sit at the top of the wood. And we might see that as representative of being sort of top of the world or top of the food chain, uh, a use of the poetic technique synecdoche to represent yeah. a smaller thing as representing a, a larger uh, structure. And, and it's the idea, isn't it, of, of this, this immediate sense of, of arrogance, top of the food chain. His eyes are closed as well. This is not, this is not a, a bird who is fearing others. Um, uh, he's instead simply there at the top, looking down on everyone else. Good. And the, the relationship between sort of him and the world as well, um, the Earth's face upward for my inspection, so the Earth personified as well, but for the hawk's convenience, uh, his inspection, he, he, is, um, he is in charge and the Earth is submissive to him. We see that also, um, we see the same thing in the air's buoyancy, this metaphorical idea of the air here being portrayed as, as, as water, you know, 
Error, you know, normally we fall through error, but for the hawk, the, the air is buoyant, the sun's rays are advantage to me. It's this universe that revolves around the, the hawk. The hawk is uh, as a, as a, the pinnacle of creation, of evolutionary um, development, and it's there at the top of the woods looking down um, on everyone else. Yeah, he's, um, he kills where he pleases as well. He's, he has complete control over this, this landscape, and it's, it's up to him, his selection, um, where, he, where he kills. What do you make of the idea of the, how the, the world revolved it all slowly? So, so we have this, 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 this line that now I hold, um, it took the whole of creation to produce my foot, my each feather. Now I hold creation in my foot or fly up and revolve it all slowly. He becomes almost godlike in that line, doesn't he? It's almost like he is responsible for the revolutions of the, of the world, perhaps. That it's him revolving the world, not the world sort of revolving him, perhaps. Yeah, it's an act of agency, isn't it? I revolve it all slowly, as if the, the world only moves. It kind of harkens back, doesn't it, to um, kind of the, 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 the earlier human beliefs of the earth at the centre of the surface, and here it's the hawk at the centre of the, of, of the planetary motion. Um, and yet at the same time there's this kind of banal evolutionary truth that he fails to recognise. You know, it took the whole of creation to produce my foot, my each feather. Now I hold creation in my foot. Um, the way he frames evolution is as, as, this, um, as this progression towards the perfection embodied in his own foot, in his own feathers. And yet of course this is true of any living thing. There's the, there is this, um, kind of, this irony, isn't there, running through the poem, that, that he's this powerful and dominant predator and yet at the same time, these things that he says, these banal truths, could be true of any, any, any creature on the entire planet. Yeah, yeah he's, he's speaking at his own perspective and he sees himself as the centre of the world, but he's, as you say, any animal or creature could describe themselves as being perfectly adapted for their own circumstances. I think the difference with the hawk is because he, he's at the top of the food chain, as we see it. He um, he becomes a kind of perfect predator. Yeah, and like creation is, as, as we note on the sheet, is capitalised. Mm -hmm. um, there's this sense, isn't there, of this kind of godlike mm -hmm. um, power, as you already already suggested. I guess the final point, maybe for this first, um, is this first kind of section of our essay is um, this idea um, we, we, you put here on the sheet. What what does the phrase "no arguments assert my right"? suggest about the democratic processes of the natural world. What do you mean by that? Well, I think um, if we think about how, um, how we sort of think of our own democratic society and how governments or, or leaders are chosen, um, the hawk sort of, um, and, and he has been read as a kind of dictator character, he says, you know, there's no, nobody votes for me. Um, no arguments assert my right. There's no, there's no need for anyone to argue for my supremacy. I just, I, I exist uh, as the top of, of the food chain and the top of the, the hierarchy. And it seems to kind of set the, the, word of, the world of nature apart from the world of, of humans, doesn't it? It seems Ted Hughes is juxtaposing a natural world in which um, the hawk simply exists. Mm -hmm. He is violent, and yet that violence comes without judgment. Um, he is arrogant, and yet that arrogance is not like human arrogance. The arrogance comes from a sense of place at the top of the food chain, and that's the, the right that he asserts um, on the world around him. Um, so that might be a, a lovely way to start, thinking about the, the hawk's dominance. So moving on to the next section of our essay, I guess, talking about the hawk as a predator. So we will get on to perhaps a slight counter-argument where, although Hughes denies it, the hawk clearly, there is something allegorical in this hawk. There is something human-like in it. But if we leave that moment yet and we start by thinking about the hawk as this perfect predator um what do you make how does how does hughes do that in the poem 
well, he describes himself um, as um, killing where he pleases, uh, and he repeats, or Hughes uses this repetition of, of killing and eating as if that's that's his function that he performs sort of repeatedly. Um, he's, almost through practice, he's become this perfect, uh, perfect killer. Um, there's a lot of references to death and physicality as well, uh, listing body parts. And a yeah, kind of, hooked head, yeah. hooked feet, and all, all of those, the, the, the alliteration there, the hooked head, the hooked feet, the, 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 the kind of, all, all these plosives, the t, k, um, these sounds, the, these t's, these k's, these d's, that kind of run through all, all the, 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 the violence of the, the sound patterns of the poem, kind of mirroring the kind of contained violence within um, within his talons. Mm. Which contrasts nicely with the, the line we mentioned earlier, the revolve it all slowly, that very slow assonant sounds there, contrasting with those sharp clipped ones that you just mentioned. Kills, so, hooked, yeah. feet, eat, head. These are, these are all these words defined by these kind of by these plosives. Um, yeah, so the the inventory of the hawk's sort of body parts, it's almost as if he's been formed or created to be this perfect killer. Um, he describes his flight as direct as well, as if there's no there's no deviation, there's no um, d- no distraction for him from his from his aim. And it's through the bones of the living that 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 violence is part of his pathway. Violence is something natural. The idea of the flight path taking him through the bones of the living um, makes violence in the poem seem an integral part of the hawk's being, rather than being something that we, as we might in our society, judge um, um, as immoral. There's instead the sense of it being natural and, and part of its, its, its nature. Mm-hmm. Which links back to that, that quote by Tennyson, which we mentioned in the thesis about nature red in tooth and claw, that nature is in its essence brutal, uh, and that sometimes as, as humans we, we don't understand, um, and, and, and Hughes attempts to empathise with the experience of the hawk through this first person dramatic monologue. We see that also in the idea of there being no sophistry. So in the, in the, the third from last stanza, um, sophistry is of course kind of clever but false arguments. And this idea that the hawk is, there's something honest, there's something, there's no dishonesty, there's no, there's nothing hidden about what, what it is. It's violent, but that violence comes, is, is amoral um, rather than immoral. The idea of it's like, it's outside of our moral framework. It doesn't exist within human morality. Um, it's, 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 it's flight is through the bones of the living. It doesn't, there's no arguments to say it's right. There's no sophistry. There's nothing clever. There's nothing, there's no manipulative rhetoric around um, to justify his violence, his violence just is because it's part of the natural world, part of the, the food web that obviously um, the biodiversity of our planet relies upon. So there is perhaps in this reading of the poem um, something that, that his violence is presented as beyond perhaps outside of the judgment of, of human senses of right and wrong, the sense that the violence of the hawk is not something we should revile or be disturbed by, but something we should accept as natural. Is, is that your take on that? Yeah, I think so. And certainly we know from Hughes' other poems that he he admires the natural world for its you know its honesty and brutality in this way, and I, I think that's certainly what he's capturing in the poem. What about the possible meanings of the sun is behind me and mm-hmm. since I began... Yeah, well, the sun is behind me is interesting because it could be a literal the sun shines behind me, you know, it's sort of setting behind me, and it, or it could be that the sun sort of supports me. It is behind me because it it supports my actions. The natural world working in harmony, and the sun is a. a and it's also a literal depiction of how hawks hunt. They come out of the mm-hmm. sun. They use the hunt the sun to dazzle the birds that they mm-hmm. they fly down upon. There's this sense. There's there's both. It's, I think it's quite a powerful line because it's both literal and figurative. Mm-hmm. There's the sense of the hawk's actual attack f- falling out of the sky onto its prey beneath but also this figurative sense of 
um, the sun being either behind, so separate to, less important than, or supporting of the celestial power, supporting the hawk, the hawk as the pinnacle, not just of evolutionary kind of progress on Earth, but also of some some kind of like planetary pinnacle that it's it's this it's dominating within our solar system. Even uh, there is this real sense of scale, isn't there, in that? Yes, definitely. Um, I suppose that, that chimes with those other lines about you know. Um, Nothing has changed since I began, and I'm going to keep things like this. The power of the hawk in relation to the the, the rest of the natural world. So, within an essay, it often pays to have, um, as I said, within 45 minutes, or if you've got extra time, slightly longer. You generally have time for about three or four main points, really. So, we generally structure our podcasts around three. And as I said, it often pays to move from simple ideas to slightly more complex ideas. So, perhaps it's worth us moving now to our final point, which is this kind of slight counterargument. Because so far, we've argued that Hughes is suggesting that the hawk is the perfect predator, that it's dominant, that it's natural, there's no sophistry, its violence and brutality is different from human violence. It's amoral, not immoral. It exists outside the moral framework. Um, and yet, um, what, what direction might we go in for our final section of this essay? Um, well, we might think about um, the depiction of the hawk as a, as a murderer. Um, some, some people like to interpret the hawk as, as allegory that, that we're reading about. Yeah, what, what is an allegory? Uh, so a, a, a sort of representation of, a, of another idea through, through sort of a more simple, often a, a natural idea if we're thinking about a fable as an allegory. Uh, but in this, in this allegory, the, the readings often centre on the hawk as a, as a dictator, um, a representation of figures we have seen in our history. And the worst past. of human nature. Yeah. Um, so it's whether we depict the hawk as this, um, this allegory of, of something we understand to be human, or if we de- depict the hawk as, um, as a murderer without a malice, uh, without humane or, or malicious intent. So it's that argument that's often divided critics, and one which is really great to get into in your essay. Because at the top of the Marx scheme, in the top bands, there's lots of the word personal appears again and again. The idea that what Cambridge are really looking for, what the examiners are really looking for, is a personal interpretation on a poem. And this is why it really pays to be evaluative in your approach, saying whilst Hughes suggests this, that the, the hawk is not human, the hawk is nature, thinking, is something he says about the poem. Um, actually, what we might want to do is then take that idea apart. <clears throat> and then our conclusion will then start to think, well, where do we stand on this? So what evidence is there in the poem of the hawk as this um, metaphor for the worst parts of human nature, this propensity within humans to, to murder, to selfishly look at the world um, and perhaps pronounce it ours when in fact we are failing to recognise um, our impact on those around us and um, that we are part of a moral framework that we're perhaps rejecting rather than really operating outside. So what kind of evidence is that poem that the hawk is this murderous figure? Uh, well, he, he talks about um, how he kills where he pleases, uh, which we've certainly, you know, if we look into our historical um, context, we can certainly see examples of where dictators have done just that. And the allotment of death, you know, where the hawk um, decides who dies, um, making him seem like a, a, a murderous uh, dictator. And um, there's also this comparison where, where Hawk describes, um, uh, sorry, Hughes describes the hawk as his manners are tearing off heads. Uh, so using the, the very human um, manners uh, and then describing tearing off heads. So that can be interpreted mm. in two ways. Either the hawk has no manners, he's not human, and therefore we can't make that comparison, or that he, he is human, he has, he has a manners system. That he's rejected yeah. the, kind of, the kind of cultural 
expectations and agreements that we the, the social contract that we make with one another and that he's reje- that it's a rejection of rather than existing outside of it i think also the other thing is to think about the form of the poem it's worth mentioning again at this point in the essay that it is a dramatic monologue and dramatic monologues are, are very interesting because of course it's a first person speaker but that speaker is definitely not hughes hughes is distant from the speaker is the hawk and so the question we might want to ask ourselves is to what extent do we agree with this viewpoint being put forward? We have a very clear viewpoint, which is of this, this arrogance of the hawk, the hawk that th- considers itself to be the pinnacle of the food chain. But actually, there's many ironies in the poem that we might want to pick out. The idea, of course, that the hawk is not top of the wood. Humans have, have surpassed that. Humans are encroach upon the natural world, have taken, have pushed many species to extinction. That, um, that, that he thinks he revolves the world slowly, but we know that planetary motion has nothing to do with the, with the hawk's talons, that it's to do with gravity, that, that, that his ignorance of the wider um, physical, the, the reality of the physical world around him, his, his, um, his suggestion that um, his, he has a right to death, to a right to a, his, this allotment of death that he has, um, we might question. So there's certainly a way of reading this poem where the voice of this hawk is ironised, it's being, it's, it's, it's subverted, it's undermined by actually our response to the hawk, particularly if we see the hawk as representative of perhaps the worst aspects of human nature. Definitely. Um, and there's, there are often sort of moments like that where we see that the hawk is, is being arrogant. And we could also use that to compare it to um, a, a more human allegory for the sort of pride before a fall and the arrogance of human nature. And, we, and perhaps it might be worth us finishing this kind of essay by thinking about that final stanza. Nothing has changed since I began. My eye has permitted no change. I'm going to keep things like this. So we have these four end-stopped lines that each... There's an assertion, uh, these kind of declarative sentences that assert things that the hawk believes to be facts. But of course, what might we notice about all of these? The sun is behind me. Nothing has changed since I began. My eye has permitted no change. I'm going to keep things like this. What's the irony of all of those? Well, none of them are true, are they? Yeah. Um, but they are, they're the hawk's belief. Um, and that certainty that he has is, is what characterises him. But the, yeah, the irony there is that none of that is true. Um, but there's no other voice in the poem. There's a dramatic monologue. It's only the hawk's perspective that we get. And he's a very convincing and persuasive speaker. So I guess that moves us towards our conclusion then. That actually, um, what, what kind of things are you thinking about this? Because obviously, how might you conclude this essay? What, what is your opinion on what the hawk is? If we come back to the question, um, how does Hughes strikingly portray the hawk? What is striking about the hawk? And, and what is the poem doing? Um, I think I think the poem's doing a number of things. I think the the hawk is portrayed as dominant, perfectly evolved predator, um, and the the interesting part then is whether we think that um, Hughes is is being ironic uh, in his depiction of the hawk, uh, and whether he is in fact depicting some elements of human nature as well as as trying to capture capture nature as he often said that he wanted to. And one thing we could consider is even if we believe Hughes that it is simply a poem about nature and nothing to do with humans, we could say that actually with what we bring to the poem, we can't help but see it as an allegory. Certainly I, uh, I disagree with Hughes' own reading of his own poem in, in, my, in what, my take on it, and that's certainly what I'd be concluding. I think it is actually, uh, as we, before we started the podcast, you spoke about how that actually the hawk is, the language is English. Um, it's not speaking as a hawk, it's speaking as a human, and therefore we can't help but see it in some way as human. Yeah, and the context in which it was written as well, not that long after World War II, means that a lot of the contemporary readers would have been bringing an even stronger experience of dictatorship and genocide and to, and to it. 
Well, thank you very much. I hope that was useful. Don't forget to download the handout um, where you'll find all of the key vocabulary and an outline of some of the ideas that we've talked about today um, for your revision notes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.